As you're turning to 1 Peter chapter 4, we have been in this series called First. What you do first impacts the rest. You remember we started by understanding and seeing that God is first. Just by His nature, who He is, He is above. He is Alpha and Omega. We just sing about that. There is none above Him. It doesn't matter what your priorities are. I mean, they matter, but but your list of priorities is not going to affect God's standing. God is first. And last week we saw how God is calling us as disciples, as Christians, to give Him our time. All of our time is His time, and to put Him first in our time, to be good stewards of our time. And as we continue today, God is calling us to acknowledge that every gift, every talent, all of our work that we do is a gift from Him, and we are to put Him first there. Stewardship in Scripture always relates to the management of something that does not belong to us, but to somebody else. Even our talents or special abilities belong to God. We own nothing that wasn't given to us. Listen to 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Now, don't turn there. You may want to jot it down. I should give you a warning. If you're looking for an outline with blanks, you're not going to find one today. And this is not because the office staff made an error. Uh, I've intentionally not given you one. So if you have a personality like mine, that's going to bug you for the next five minutes. But tough. You'll maybe get one next week. I, I want us to have a little bit more freedom as we walk through this passage of Scripture. We're going to get in a minute. Uh, 1 Peter 4. We're going to look at 1 through 11 together and chew on that. And if you want to take notes, there's some blank paper there for you that you can jot some things down. But listen as I read 1 Corinthians 4, 7. You may want to jot this reference down, but, but don't turn to it. Uh, I'm going to go through fast. And what do you have that you didn't receive? But if you did receive it, why do you boast as, you, as if you didn't receive it? Why do we act like the gifts, the talents, the, the abilities that we have is, is ours, that we have earned them, that we have developed them, that, that it's something in our genes that was just passed down? Everything you have is given by God. Your talents, your gifts, your work, your abilities is given by God. God has entrusted us with aptitudes and with abilities, and as a good steward, we must use them for his glory. It's not only true that all of our music and our artistic ability and our athletic and academic and business and persuasive talents, all of these, including our spiritual gifts, are a gift from God. Now listen to Romans twelve six. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to each of us, let us exercise them accordingly. The scripture is telling us that we have different gifts and we are to use them for his glory. Faithful stewardship of our natural talents and spiritual gifts requires that we use them to glorify God and edify others. Our purpose is not to please ourselves, but to serve others. Romans 15, 2 and 3 says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to his edification, for even Christ did not please himself. I want you to think this morning, how often do you use whatever you do best? What are you good at? Some of you are are chock full of ideas of what you do good. Others, you have to sit there and think a while. Whatever it is you do best, God gave that to you. Do you use it to edify others or to please yourself? Another aspect of good stewardship is when we recognize what God has given to us and not be envious of what he has not given to us. We don't focus on the things that that we're not as good at that somebody else around us is. Well, I want us now to look at the core text that we'll be in, 1 Peter 4, 1 through 11. Follow along with me as I read aloud. 
Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in the body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans chose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same food of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but living according to God in regard to the spirit. Verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever Amen. Father, I pray that you would once again open our hearts and minds to hear your word. And not just to have it go in our ears and into our brain, but God, penetrate our heart today. We are hungry for your truth. And so, Lord, we ask as we chew on this, your written word, that your living word would allow the spirit to bear witness with us and transform us. We ask these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Peter here in this passage is giving us a a roadmap of how to live for God. Now, this text does not specifically talk about uh, the main text of how to use your gifts and talents and abilities to to work for God. But it talks about living for God. and, And when we live our whole life for God, it affects our gifts and talents that God has given to us. And so as we look at how we are to live life, it has variance over how we use these gifts, talents, and abilities that God has given to us. Now, let's look at this. We're just going to go verse by verse through this. And and if you have your Bible, you need to keep it open. If you don't have a Bible, get out your phone and try to find the text there. If you don't have that, get close to somebody and, and tell them you have to look at that because Pastor Brady made you. Look there in the first verse. Well, what does it say? How are we to put God first in our, in our talent and in our work? How do we put him first? Arm yourself. Now think about that. What do you arm yourself with? If you are going into battle and you're going to arm yourself defensively and offensively, you might arm yourself with a sword or, or a dagger or, or, a, or, or a gun or a tank. You may arm yourself or, or you may arm yourself with a bulletproof vest or, or a helmet or, or some kind of camouflage and, and you're going to arm yourself to defend and also to, to attack, to advance. You are to arm yourself with the attitude of Christ. To arm yourself with the attitude of Christ. I mean, that seems so strange to arm yourself with an attitude. 
What good is an attitude in defense? What good is an attitude in offense? I mean, is this just self-help talk? I mean, what, what is Peter talking about here? Is this just, you know, kind of, uh, you know, don't worry, be happy, hope everything works together and to be good, have a positive mental attitude? No. He didn't say have the attitude of just being positive, though that's fun to be around. He didn't just say have the attitude of, of being victorious. You know, you name it and claim it, and that attitude will get you all of it. That's not what he said. He said have the attitude of Christ. Have the attitude of Christ. Think about it. When you look at your life, what do you arm yourself with? Do you arm yourself for defense and offense with, with your hard work? The, the no pain, no gain motto, the idea that you drive for success at all costs, is that how you defend yourself and how you attack? Do you arm yourself when things get tough and people push against you, do you arm yourself with your resume of accomplishments? Well, they may not appreciate me, but you can't argue with this. Do you arm yourself with sarcasm? No matter what someone says to you, you can deflect it with a self-deprivating comment or, or you can deflect it with humor that is dripping with sarcasm and, and you just kind of skew the, the, the truth over to the side and, and this is your defense mechanism. You've armed yourself. You can make it through anything. You can say anything to me and I can make a joke out of it. Have you armed yourself with sarcasm or humor? Have you armed yourself by putting up walls so nobody can get close to you. Somebody has hurt you deeply in your life. And, and so you said, I'm never going to be hurt like that again. And you put brick after brick after brick after brick. And pretty soon you've armed yourself with distance. Oh, I mean, you're close to people. There's people around you right now. But nobody really gets close to you. And so therefore nobody's going to hurt you because you, nobody really knows you. What do you arm yourself with do you arm yourself with this brash attitude who cares what people think and some of that could be somewhat healthy but taken to the extreme if your offense and your defense is who cares it's gonna come back to haunt you Maybe you arm yourself with power and control. It comes out like this. You rarely find yourself in a situation where you are not in control. If you find yourself in a situation where you're not in control, you don't stay there very long. You're doing what you can control to get out of that situation so you can be in control. Well, what is it you arm yourself with? None of these things is what Peter is telling us to do. He says we are to arm ourselves with the attitude of Christ. Why? Why? Look in the text right there. Keep reading down. Jesus, with his attitude, as a result, did not live his life for evil human desires, but for the will of God. If we have the attitude of Christ, we will not live our life for evil human desires, but we will live our life for the will of God. Friend, if you have the attitude of Jesus, you will no longer live your life for the same things. It will change how you live your life, and in turn, it will change how you use your gifts, your talents, your abilities. It will change how you work. Everything about it will change if you arm yourself with the attitude of Christ. The desires of the world are no longer enough for you. Rather, you seek and you hunger the very will of God. What would it look like if you 
if you really used everything that you have, everything that you're able to do to accomplish the will of God in your life, every talent, every ability, every passion given from God, every gift, all your work for God's will in your life, think of the freedom that you would experience. Some of you may say, well, I don't know if I thought of freedom. I just thought that work got real churchy and home got boring and all these kind of things. No! Think about the freedom. You no longer live your life to please man. You no longer live your life to get that promotion. You no longer live your life to get that job. You no longer live your life to get into that school. You no longer live your life so somebody will will come and, and you'll meet them and you can marry that perfect man or woman. You no longer live your life for any of these things. You live your life so the will of God can be carried out in your life. There's freedom. There's one person to please. There's one goal to aim for. There's one person who gives you strength to do that. When we recognize that he is first, not only in our time, but he's first in our everyday life, in our gifts, our talents, our abilities. When we have the attitude of Jesus, it changes the way we live. When you begin to see that everything you have is on loan from God, it begins to make sense. Your business skills... Those are God's. Your work ethic, God gave you that. Your intellect, God gave it to you. Your personality, God gave it to you. Every gift and talent, ability, all of your work at home, at the office, at school is a gift from God. Use it to live for His will. Well, why? Why is this so important? Look down in the text again. You have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans have chosen to do. I mean, haven't we spent enough time living our life believing? We'll sing, I believe in Jesus. I believe in the Son of God. I believe He rose from the dead. And then we live our life Monday through Friday loving Jesus, wanting to live for Him, but listing our priorities according to a world standard. How I use my skills, how I use my spiritual gifts, how I use my work opportunities. Well, I mean, that's not spiritual life, that's secular. There's nothing secular to God. There's things that are evil, yes, but everything is spiritual to God. Now hear me clearly, God isn't saying that everything is good, but he's saying every area of your life, there is a spiritual dimension to it. And God is saying, I am first in every single place in your life. Haven't you spent enough time doing what the world does? Look what he lists. Look at this laundry list here. Debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, idolatry. My guess is that there's not a whole lot of us when we came in in today and said, you know what? That list is exactly what I'm dealing with. Now, maybe somebody's honest enough to say one of those are, but not many would. And so, well, this doesn't apply to us. Not at all. Now, Peter here is talking about specifics in a particular sin of sexual sin or, or drunkenness with alcohol and the effects it has on our life. But let's look a little bit deeper at what is happening here, because you can experience a life of Debauchery and not have any sexual sin in your life. It could be sin in other areas. Excessive indulgence and sensual pleasure debauchery. 
What is it that you find yourself and what you do, your gifts, your talents, your work, that you are excessively indulging in for pleasure? What is it other than God that is excessively driving you to indulge in that pleasure? Lust. What is it that your soul craves for that is not right? That you give in to that appetite of something that is not healthy for you or anybody else. This is the world's standard. What is it in drunkenness? Now maybe it is an issue of, of being addicted to alcohol and, and God can bring freedom from that. We are confident that God can bring freedom from that. But I tell you what, you can be addicted to a lot of things. Anything that controls your actions, that begins to affect your mind and your body, can be an addiction. And God says, what addicting thing is driving what you do with your gifts, your talents, your passions that God has given you, and your work? Well, wait a minute. Now this is starting to take on a different demeanor. Well, what is it in your life that possibly is an idol that you're worshiping? Worshiping an idol, blindly, excessively devoting yourself to it. What gift and talent has God given you that without question, blindly, you devote your athletic skill to blank? You blindly devote your business acumen to blank? You, you blindly devote your people skills to blank? You blindly devote all of your personality gifts that God has given you to blank? You blindly devote... What are you worshiping with your gifts and talents and your work, whether at home or in the office or at school? You are worshiping something. Is it God? He's suggesting if we don't have the attitude of Christ, our life won't change and will continue to be in the path that the world has chosen. And then he says, here's some things to expect. (laughs) I love this part. (laughs) Look there in the text. He, He tells people, You should expect that people will think you are strange. Now, for some of you who are weird, this is the text you should hang on to for your whole life. The Bible says, you should expect that I'm weird. You know, other than being eccentric or a little bit different, some of us live in gripping fear. That we won't conform to the pattern that we are told we have to around us. Peter says, if you have the attitude of Jesus, expect there will be opposition. Not maybe, not sometimes, not for some people. For everybody, for you, if you're a Christian and you have the attitude of Jesus, expect that they will think you are strange. They will look at your gifts, your talents, your abilities, the time that God has given you, the resource that God has given you and said, you're doing what with that? Come on and do this. No, that's the way of the world. That's weird. Yeah, I know. God says we are to expect opposition. Expect that people will see that we're strange. You see, if you try to live your life straddling, pleasing people and doing the will of God, it won't be long until you are far, I can't go any farther than that because it hurts. It won't be long till you are so far stretched 
that it will tear you in half more than just pulling a muscle. It will divide you. You cannot live for the will of God and live for pleasing man or woman. It can't happen. Expect opposition. Well, how do we do this? Have the mind, the attitude of Jesus. Also, Peter tells us to expect that the end is near. We're not to live long on this earth. It's in your Bible. Look at it. I'm not making this up. I want you to read it in your text. Find it in your text. Do not expect this world to go forever. The end is near. So what does that mean? None of this makes sense if you think that you're only going to be around for 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 100 years. Expect the end is near. And when you begin to think eternally, all of this makes perfect sense. God is not calling you to make a a dumb, blind leap of faith. It's a very intellectual leap of faith. When you see how short this life is and how long the next life is and everything we do now can impact eternity, have the attitude of Jesus. It will change the way you live and how you use your gifts, your talents, and your work. So what are we to do? Now, he gets real specific here, and I love this. Look in your Bible. It says, be clear-minded and self-controlled. Find that in your text. Some of you don't have a Bible. Remember to bring it next week. If you don't have one, I'll give you one. Be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can work harder. Isn't that what your Bible says? Be clear-minded and self-controlled so you can have more Scripture memorized than anybody else. Is that what your Bible says? No. Be clear-minded and self-controlled so you can have the doctrines of the Church of the Nazarene memorized and you can quote them paragraph by paragraph. Is that what it says? No. Be clear-minded and self-controlled so you can be pious. No. Be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can what? Pray. Pray? What does this have to do with my gifts and talents and abilities and my work? What does this have to do with having the attitude of Jesus? Everything. Because when you and I pray, God changes us. When we pray, we cry out to Him for wisdom, and He pours wisdom into us. When we pray, He gives us the attitude of Jesus. Amen? Well, how, Pastor, do I get the attitude of Jesus? Pray. Yeah, but what else do I need to do? Pray. But, but, but after I pray, what do I need to do? Pray some more. Ask God to give you the attitude of Jesus. And when you begin to see John 3.30 working out in your life, that there's to be more of Him and less of you, you begin to get this thing. And it begins to get exciting. You know what? Every time you pray, just remember how rotten your attitude is. And if you can't think of how rotten your attitude is, think about my attitude. Say, well, Pastor Brady's attitude is so stinking rotten, I need the attitude of Jesus. Because, you know what, I don't want you to have my attitude. I want you to have the attitude of Jesus. The more of Him I have and the less of me, that's the right path. Don't mistake this. This is not copying anybody here on earth. This is not saying, well, I'm going to be a good Christian like Pastor X or Pastor Edgar or Pastor Ryan or Pastor Katrina. And if I can live like them, no, forget it. They are in pursuit. I know their hearts as we crowd together. They need more of Jesus and less of themselves. And when we pray, this begins to happen. It changes things. And the Holy Spirit gives us an outpouring of His presence in our life. And Acts 4.31 begins to happen again. A renewal of His Holy Spirit. When we pray, He changes things. 
over the last uh, 19 days as I've been reading through the Bible, I've been blown away. How many times people pray? All the time they pray. They pray before they go here. They pray before they go there. Then they pray some more. But you know what? When we read it, we go, oh, that's good. But I don't need to do it. Why? Well, I, I prayed for my lunch. I thank God for my food. Pray! Why is that? Could it be that maybe we don't pray so much because we don't really think we need God that much? Could it be the very gifts that God has given us and our talents and our abilities and our work, the enemy has taken them and used them against us to make us think that we've got it all together to where we no longer need God to help us there? Well, when I get sick, I need help. Or, or when I have some major life challenge, I need help. But at work, at school, at home, I mean, I'm the one who got the kids to all those places. I'm the one who did the laundry. I'm the one who made the calendar. I'm the one who closed that deal. I'm the one who wrote that paper. But, but is it really you? God has given that to you. If you begin to see that you need God, you will have a hunger to pray. God, give me your attitude The attitude of your son Jesus and give me a heart for prayer. And something else happens. Look in your text. Above all, love each other deeply. I want to ask you how much love is expressed through what you do best. Are you a good talker? Are you a good teacher? Are you good at math? Are you good with people? Are you good at tasks? Are you good at works? You're good at behind the scenes. You're good at leading. What are you passionate about? How much love comes through what you do best? Or is it self-serving? Or is it focused on the bottom line? Or is it focused on getting it done right? I mean, I'm good at this and it's going to be done right. It's going to be performed right. Or is there love saturated in that? This is not public relations love that just kind of makes us look good as Christians. This is a deep love for one another. Now, in church, we like to talk about using our gifts and our talents a lot and serving. And, and, and there's, there's a place to, to have uh, spiritual gift inventories. I'm not against those. I believe in those. And we need to know what our spiritual gifts are. And, and there may be a time when I have you do that. But, friend, I don't think our biggest problem is we don't know what it is we're good at, what God has given us. The biggest problem is we think that we're good at it and it's mine. Well, I don't have 12. I only have one gift. Well, so what? You have one gift. Use it for God. Some of you are so excited. Well, I've got so many gifts I can't count. Quit counting and start using it for God. It's not yours. To whom much is given, much is required. If you don't have much, well, then you just serve with what you have. God's not going to hold that against you. And look at the next. It says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. I'm not just trying to say this every week, but it keeps coming up in Scripture, so I'm going to say it again. I've got to drive this home. Nothing is farther from the attitude of Jesus Christ than when we grumble and complain about the use or lack of the use of the gifts and talents, abilities and passions and work that God has given to us. Nothing is farther from the attitude of Jesus Christ than when we grumble and complain about the use or lack of use of our gifts and talents and abilities. Amen? I can't believe they didn't ask me to teach that class. I'm so better at teaching that class. I'm holding the mirror up. I can't believe they didn't ask me to speak over there. Could have preached a better sermon than I just heard. That's not an attitude of Jesus. 
The attitude of self. I've had them over to my house five times and they've not invited me over one time. Well, boy, aren't you hospitable with the attitude of Jesus. Is there love coming out? Ha <laughs> ha this is good. God, I need to pray. Give me your attitude. Because my attitude's creeping through. Pastor Brady, I don't know if I can do that. I'm confident you can't do that. You need to pray. You need to ask God, give me your attitude. Arm yourself with it. It's your defense. It's your offense. But I may get hurt. No, I promise you'll get hurt. You'll get opposition. People will say things about you. People will do things against you, just like they did Jesus. And the scripture says, take joy in it. Count it all joy when you suffer for me. I thought this was love Jesus and everything's perfect. No, love Jesus and everything is great in the end. And there's tremendous victory in the meantime. And it's victory through pain. God wants to encourage you today. This is not condemning against you. It may be convicting, but it's not condemning. He says, put me first. Why didn't I get recognized? Or maybe that's not you. Why do they always ask me to do this? There's so many other people in this church. Why do I have to do it again? You have the gifts and talents to do it. Serve God. Why do I always have to be the one they depend on? I do so much around here. You do so much. Maybe that's the problem. God never asked you to do it in your own strength. He gave you those gifts and talents and abilities. What if you would use them with his strength? What if you'd say, I don't have all the answers? It's freedom. It's good. It's it's the way God has created us to be. And the enemy is trying to use them against us and get you to think, well, I'm so smart, I'm so strategic, I'm so this, I'm so that, and it's all going to come from me. Wrong. God gave it to you. Use it with the attitude of Jesus. And look what happens as he concludes this passage. Whatever gifts you have, serve others. Who are you serving with your gifts? Yourself? Or are you serving Jesus while you serve others? And then, I love this part, administer God's grace. Check this out. You and I get the opportunity. When we are loving people through our works, our our gifts and talents and abilities, to dispense the grace of God. Pastor Brady, you should see the people I'm around. They don't deserve it. Guess what? Neither do you. That's grace. When you find somebody who's really stinking and they don't deserve it, give them more. That's what Jesus did. He gave you more. But they may take advantage of me. Give your advantage away. Don't let them take it. Give it before they ask. Give it to them. Jesus, I want your attitude, not my attitude. When you put him first, it's not just your time. It's your talent. It's your abilities. It's your gift and everything else. And when that happens... He says, speak, you, if you speak, do it as one speaking the very words of God. So when you use your gifts and talents and abilities at work, at home, at school, when you open your mouth, let it be as if it's the very words of God. That may change what we say. And if you serve what you do, do it with the very strength of God. 
Don't do it in your musto, in your power, in your might, in your grit, in your tenuity, in, uh, in your tenacity, in your, your dedication. You just do it with the strength of God. And what does he say will happen? Jesus will be glorified. As we close this morning, I want to remind you that each of us has an arena of influence. Whether it's large or small, God has given a specific ministry to you and it's not necessarily in this building. Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Regardless of what we have been given, every stewardship test is judged by the same standard, faithfulness. How faithful are you to what God has given you? It's not the size of your ministry or your gift or your talent or your abilities that counts, but it's what you do with what's been entrusted to you. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would take your truth and penetrate our heart. And God, for those who are already pursuing the attitude of your son Jesus, let this be so encouraging and so freeing That you're not asking them to come up with the solution. You're not asking them to come up with the musto. You're not asking them to to have all the answers. You're asking them to have your son Jesus and to pray 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 some more. God, I pray that you'll wake some of us up who, who love you, who live for you. But when it comes to our talents and abilities and gifts, our work, we kind of segment it and we begin to think that's what we do through what you transform in us, God, remind us that it's all yours. It's just on loan to us for a short time. God, give us a a hunger to have your attitude. Change our life that the way of the world is no longer applicable to us. Give us boldness to stand in the face of opposition that would think that we are strange. And God, let there be an overflowing tone of love in this place. Not for public relations sense, but a deep love of expressing what you have given to us. Thank you, Father, for the victory, for the freedom, for the hope that you can give through your truth here in this passage. It's in your Son's powerful and precious name. The name that conquered sin, death, and the grave. The name that every demon trembles in. It's in this name of Jesus that we pray these prayers. And we declare the victory that you have for us today. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Church, I want to challenge you before you let today go by. Find some time, not in this building, where you get away with God and you meditate on this passage of Scripture. 1 Peter 4, 1 through 11. God just started this in you. You may think it's done. It's not. This is just like priming the pump. He's got something for you. You chew on it. He's going to give it to you. He has freedom there. Take some time to do that. I want to encourage you to find a brother or sister and love on them. But Before you spend too much time talking, if you would help me and grab your children from children's ministry and let them get on the conversation you're going to have, it'll bless our teachers today as they go to a training time. If I could be praying for you specifically, Carrie and I are going to be up here. We'd love to pray with you. And if we 
could bless you with healing prayer or special prayer in some way, we'd love to talk with you. God bless you. You're dismissed.